Welcome, everybody. Here we are again. Another podcast, Hollywood Godfather podcast, the one we love. My good compadre, partner in crime, and in writing, and everything else in life, Patrick <laughs> Charlie. <laughs> good evening, everybody. Glad you're here to listen to us. Okay. Uh, we're going to uh, talk about something different tonight. Uh, Johnny and I had a little uh, uh, tragedy in our, in our lives, just coincidental, and uh, we'd like to share it with you. We're going to talk about uh, Johnny first. He's going to talk about a dear friend of his, who I know, but uh, not as good as uh, as Johnny did. And then uh, uh, later on in the show, I'm going to talk about after being in the PI business for over 30 years, I lost a client to violence. And uh, I think it's I think it's worth talking about. It's a uh, it's a lesson in how to be careful, even if you live in small town America. So, Johnny. Oh, and at the end of all this doom and gloom, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the the progress of our book, which is uh, just about to be released. But we will we will bring you up on that. So, Johnny, let's uh, let's start with you. Tell us what you have to say. Well, I have a lot to say about this one guy because he was like. Uh, anytime I had a problem serious or just talked to him because he's been a mutual friend of mine for many, many years. And um, he also was very heavily involved in organized crime. And not, I shouldn't say also, I, I was indirectly involved, but he, he was in it. But his, his humor and his personality, he overrode it all. I mean, one of the things just... I recollect many years ago in 86, during one of the big investigations of crime, they accused him of being an underboss of the Lucrezi crime family. And he corrected them and said, wait a minute, I'm not with that family. I'm with the Gambino. I'm with, I'm with the uh, Genovese family. That's how crazy he is. And this man is? This man is Tony Federici, better known as Tough Tony, better known as the owner of Corona. Um, um, listen to me, of Corona, the best restaurant in Corona called Parkside. And he, I mean, he is such a humanitarian, and it 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 really saddens me because of the fact that you know I was uh, I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with him in an unfortunate situation. I visited him for 31 days up in New York Presbyterian Hospital as he was going through so many different challenges of life. Two of them were, were just the pandemic. Twice he was in the hospital because of it. And then later on from lymphoma that was discovered during it. But with all that said, I, I'd rather remember him for the fun. I mean, this guy was a practical joker. I mean, he did so many... If anybody knew him the way we knew him, meaning his close friends, you, you would never think he, he would hum a fly. But the reason he has the name Tough Tony is because he would. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason for these uh, nicknames that that people give them, you know. Yeah. 
I, I, I recall him. Uh, uh, not, I wasn't as friendly with him as, as you were nationally. I was just a frequenter of his restaurant, which was a, uh, an oasis for excellent food in Queens. You know, you would you would feel that you would find something, a, a restaurant of this caliber in, in Manhattan with the rest of them. But he was in Corona, Queens, uh, which is uh, uh, to try to give you a location. It's not too far from uh, LaGuardia Airport off the Long Island Expressway, 108th Street in Corona. This is an Italian area. And he built a restaurant. How old was that restaurant, Gianni? Well, he, he bought the first portion of his restaurant. It was a club, just a club. He was 17. Yeah. He, now, just so you know, that's 52 years later. Yeah. He died at 82. So he was 15, loved the neighborhood, had the first club, then kept adding on to it. And uh, it's interesting when you read his, his his profile, they say that, you know, he was a, a underboss in the Genovese crime family and philanthropist because he started buying up buildings and doing great things for the neighborhood. He had fought the July parties where he'd spend all the money on the locals. He built a bocce court. He really created that area as he would want to keep it crime free and um, and just helped everybody. There's nobody in the world that could say, you know, he wasn't. I mean, I, I, I couldn't go for a lot of reasons to the wake or the mast being today this morning. But I had people telling me how many people there wasn't a dry eye in the mass it was packed and uh he 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 was that guy and as as pat pointed out the quality of food i can remember numerous times over the years 20 years of going out with him at the finest restaurants and he had ordered dishes that he didn't serve just to taste them and then he had bring the chef out, bribe the chef, get the recipe. And the next thing you know, he'd serve it in his restaurant. Yeah. You know, I, I was a fixture there on Thursday nights. Asobuco night, man. He made the yeah. best Asobuco. That's yeah. a, uh, in, in, in English, that's a leg of lamb, right? Uh, it's it's of- actually the shank of it. M- most, most people would throw that piece away. Yeah. If you had it, I mean, it's it's just if you know anything about cooking, asumbuka, it's like it's the the meat is on the bone and it's cooked for hours, but it's the seasoning and it's it's became a delicacy. Asumbuka yeah, the, the, restaurants is a delicacy now. <laughs> yeah, not too many people can uh, make it well because they generally overcook it. Right. Uh, this is uh, as Johnny said, the meat is on the bone. It's how it's delivered to the table. And you could just lay your fork on it, and the, the the meat would just come off the bone. I mean, it was just phenomenal, and you couldn't get it anywhere. I mean, uh, uh, I lived in Queens, so I mean, it was fairly close to me. But there were people coming from all over the city, and I dare say all over the state to sample this guy's cuisine. The place was packed every single night. I mean, you couldn't go there at any time uh, when it was open that it wasn't jammed, and I. I recall being very friendly. I got to be very friendly with the, the mayor D. Alfredo. Yeah, uh, Alfredo's the fixture there. Yeah, he was there. He's, well, I, I'm in uh, southwestern PA here for 30 years. So I know. Uh, and when I moved here, uh, Alfredo was there for at least 10, probably yeah. more. So he's been there for at least 40 years. He must be taking this very, very hard. 
Well, you know, that it, it's, it's, it, it's people that work for him, people that don't work for him, customers. He was so nice to everybody. I mean, you yeah. would never think of this guy being a, a tough guy. And that was his nickname, Tough Tony. And but his humor, and as I said, and, and generous. I mean, the bread basket that he served when you sat down with the cheese and everything else. Most so, restaurants, most restaurants wouldn't serve it. You wouldn't order anything. I know. I, yeah, he was. Uh, uh, the, like I said, the food was outstanding. You know, it, to 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 put it into perspective uh, for people who one aren't Italian, and two that don't live in the New York area. Uh, uh, food is a big part of our lives. Uh, I, I don't care what, how rich you are, how poor you are. Sunday, Sunday uh, uh, nights is always a, a, a huge meal in an Italian house, and uh, it was like every day was Sunday in, in in Parkside. I mean, it's it was it wasn't a place where we thought, well, we're going out to a restaurant. It seems like you were going out to somebody's house, and uh, you were greeted uh, by everybody, including Tony. Uh, Alfredo and everybody else saw the same faces all the time. You saw that the, the people that, that, that were going there for 30 years bringing their kids and their oh, yeah. kids are bringing it's, their it's kids. Generations already, yeah. yeah. So I want to you know, of... yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, the, the, the thing about what you just said, in, in our upbringing, being Italians, every first Holy Communion, There'd be families that were there through three generations, their grandfathers. Anything that had to do with a celebration, if you lived in that area, they did it at Parkside, which is a tribute to him. I mean, his staff, yes, but he he ran that. I mean, he had such pride. And I I, I was going there when his mother used to sit in the window and just watch him. I mean, he'd, he'd be cleaning up tables. There was nothing he wouldn't do. And that's why he made his his help now. There's nothing beneath you when you're serving these people. Make them happy. Let them remember their names and make them feel special. And he yeah. did. It, man. You know, I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but my after wedding party was in Parkside. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, not not the whole crew, but the wedding party and and, and all our close friends. And he right. personally was out at that table every ten minutes. Uh, wow. I was going, is everything okay? And and uh, I got a check for such a minuscule amount. <laughs> I mean, it, it just didn't seem like uh, I said, something's got to be wrong here. And, and Alfredo said, take the check. <laughs> and that was the end of that, you know. I mean, it was just such a, such, just, just so pleasant. But you were saying something about his uh, his ability or his propensity for practical jokes. That I didn't know. Well, we were out so much, you know, and he, lo- he loved, uh, I mean, I, I remember they were insane. He used to go to a club called Pastels in New York, and they would stay there all night. And these guys loved them. I mean, one thing about Tony and 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 his friends, they're very generous. I mean, just in my experience with him, for eleven years, eleven years straight, I performed in New York City. Tony never missed the show, and I'm not talking about three, four people. He'd tell 10 people, eight people, give me that check, this check. And was there, and we had fun, and he, he spent a lot of money. And But again, you know, he's just that friendly and supportive. If he likes you, forget about it. And oh, I'm yeah. happy to say I cooked for him numerous times. 
And he he would challenge me because my, my dining room behind me, as you could see, since 16. And when, you know, certain guys come and certain meetings, he wanted to have certain places. I had the privilege of serving him and his friends numerous times. I'm sure the feds and organized crime were saying, what's going on here? It was like a movie because, you know, they'd come and uh, you never hear a phone ring. And one time I mentioned that. I said, Tony, where's all your cell phones? He said, they're in the car riding around the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and he had he had a loyalty uh, from his employees you know, when I first started going there, you know, the parking lot was adjacent to the restaurant. I'm trying to lay the picture out for people who are trying to envision this. The restaurant's across the street from this little triangle park. Uh, and it was a it was a residential area. So it was not a commercial area, but there was a parking lot adjacent to the uh, to the restaurant. And it was, the parking was was difficult there on the street. So I'd always go into the parking lot. And the guy that ran the parking lot, his name was Frankie. Frankie Parker. And I said, gee, isn't this a coincidence? You're parking cars and your name is Parker. He says, no, no, that's the name Tony gave me when I started working here. This guy, and and I, and I just had a feeling, I, I shouldn't ask him his last name, so I didn't. And I always knew the guy as Frankie Parker. And this guy was there every day parking cars, doing quite well, may I add. You can make a career in this place. <laughs> Some of the people who- Oh, the people were generous, yeah. yeah. Just parking cars. And he, he, he engendered that kind of loyalty from all his employees. It's a guy, I'm sure, who could have done a lot. And this is a bright guy, this Frankie Parker. He could have done a lot of things. He chose to stay with Tony and park cars. And uh, that's that's the kind of of of, uh, of uh, loyalty he had among his his uh, employees. That was the guy was absolutely amazing. And uh, you know, Johnny and I, what can I discuss uh, the book later on in the show? But just to uh, uh, show you how much we admire the guy. We had a character based on him in this book that, that Gianni and I just wrote. This is a work of fiction. And uh, we changed his name. Uh, he's, he's quite the character in the book, but when, when he passed away two days ago, uh, Jenna, Gianni and I decided to uh, use his real name in the book. And we also dedicated the book to him. Uh, and, uh, if, if we would have dedicated the book to him anyway, <laughs> but, uh, I'm sure wherever he is, if, if he's listening to this, he'd be, uh, quite honored, uh, uh that we did that, but he, he obviously was worth it. No, he deserved it. I mean, his loyalty to me and, and through the years, it was amazing, amazing. And so, I mean, that's, and, and the, the good news about that is that the coincidence that you knew them and, and got you know to partake in that, that whole affair of his out there which it was it was not just go to a restaurant it was a, an experience the food the 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 characters that worked everybody was just uh, you know i i have one funny story which just cropped into my head like i said i was there every thursday night at the time i was doing some work for howard stern i, I worked for howard for years in a uh, capacity of his investigator but uh i was there one night this was obviously years ago before I moved here. And I forget who I was there with, uh, but there was a bunch of us and uh, uh, Tony stopped at the table. He's standing, he wasn't eating with us he's, and he's, he's talking. And uh, Alfredo comes over and says to me, uh, hey Pat, yeah, Howard Stern is on the phone. Uh, he called me at the restaurant. Uh, there, there were no cell phones back then, right? So he says, Howard Stern's on the phone. 
So uh, Tony says, said to Alfredo, tell Howard Stern he's eating. <laughs> and and he'll, he'll call you back when he's good and ready. <laughs> uh, the kind no, of that's guy. his humor, man. That's yeah. his humor. He will be missed. And uh, believe me, you know, and it's so funny because people are asking me now. And uh, I'll never go back in that restaurant. I couldn't. That weird? Yeah, that's the next question. Uh, for the audience, in case anybody thinks that the place is going out of business because he passed away, uh, what's their future in that place? Oh, no, I think it's going to be there forever because, well, the Sonny Anthony, they all got involved in it, as, as Italian families do. I mean, Anthony has his other business. I don't want to get into his private life, but he's very successful, and he's helping his mother run it. And he's now the, the oldest son, and he has a son and a daughter only and grandchildren. And that I know of the whole family. I've been to every baptism. I'll be wedding. And so it's it's a situation. But with me, I I I I couldn't find myself going back in there without him. I mean, that that's how really here he was to me. Maybe you're just saying that now, but your plan is as we speak, is not going back to that restaurant. I I don't I don't think I can get to, to do it. I I just have yeah. such fond memories. That I, I'm, 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 but people don't know about me. I'm very sensitive. What I, I, I'm, I'm in a situation where you know, with, with my childhood and all that, I never show my emotions too openly to people. But I, I think I would break down if I went in there. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I know you pretty well, and I've, uh, I've, I've, I've. I've seen you react to certain things and that's, that's great. That's, that's good. So a lot of us as men, we're taught, particularly in, in, uh, in Italian families, you know, keep your emotions to yourself. Uh, uh, I, I never uh, abided by that. And I think you and I, particularly uh, in the way we grew up separately, wherever uh, we're, we're able to uh, uh, show our emotions. And I think we're healthier for it. No, I think I mean, me too. I mean, I, I've been, told a lot of times, you know, like, we can't believe you're so sensitive. I think that's a good trait. It is very good. You, know, you yeah. bottle this stuff up. And, uh, you know, you've seen a lot in your life, and anybody who's, uh, who's uh, read our book knows that. And, of course, I've seen things, uh, wars, police work. And if you can't let it go, you wind up, at least in, in my life, you wind up an alcoholic, divorced, Oh and yeah, or, and or a suicide. None of I, it's good. So I just I, I, I like I've being had, who I am. I've had several friends of mine who had that attitude. You know, I'm tough. I'm a I'm a I'm a policeman. I'm tough. Uh, kill themselves. Uh, yeah. you, know, you have to have an outlet. You have to be able to show that you're human. And in this macho world that we live in, and I'm just talking about Johnny and I, uh, that's not uh, something that people like to admit to, even though they probably go home. Uh, whatever experience they're going through and they cry themselves to sleep in their pillow. There's nothing wrong with that. And anybody who thinks that there is, is trying to be a tough guy, you're not going to last in this world very long. Your heart's going to go, something's going to happen. But uh, I think we, we, you know, we, 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 I think it's time to change the subject. I know well, you, you have something that is totally tragic on another end. Yeah. yeah. And well, uh, I'll mean, tell you what, before we do that, Let's break for a commercial. Okay, please. We'll be right back. Thank you. Okay, we're back. And uh, 
as I didn't want to cut it short, but you know, I don't want to get too sentimental and too melancholy. Unless yeah. you know, if you know the guy, you know him. If you don't know him, you, you should have gotten to know him. Yeah, so, Tony, rest in peace, my man. You're having more fun than we. I know that you're going to make a chaos no matter where you are, upstairs <laughs> or downstairs, but you're going to be having fun, and that's important. I love you, buddy. Yeah, you know, and uh, this has been a, a chaotic week for the both of us. I, I, I'll, I'll preface my my story by saying I've been a private investigator for almost 30 years, and uh, I always thought that New York, no, more than 30 years, I'd say 40 years, uh, uh, and I thought when I was leaving uh, New York, I, I was leaving a portion of the job behind me where there was uh, violence and, and, and uh, just lying and businesses destroyed and lives destroyed by theft and kidnappings. And I mean, I handle a lot of, a lot of hairy cases and everybody in my business says, but I can't say they could do it every day. Primarily a PI's job is 80% divorce work. And anybody that tells you different is uh, trying to make something of this, uh, this profession that, that it isn't. But that uh, that twenty uh, percent that doesn't involve domestic cases, things could get hairy. So that said, when we moved here thirty years ago, I got a Pennsylvania PI license, and I said, "Well, this is going to be nice." Uh, I, I I wanted to come here. No, we wanted to come here, so we didn't have to raise our children in a city that we thought was continuing to deteriorate. And I guess I was right <laughs> because of the way that way New York is now. But my wife was. Uh, was uh, uh, pregnant with our first child when we came here. So we just didn't want to raise children. Uh, and particularly where I lived, which is Jackson Heights, commonly known as the cocaine capital of the world, shootings every day, literally every day. And the impetus for us to move was having breakfast one day in our living room. I owned a house in Queens before uh, I got married. Somebody fired a round, a bullet, through my kitchen window. Now, it wasn't aimed at me. It was a six-story building across the way from me and apparently somebody had a disagreement and uh and shots were fired but this was fairly common in the area but a round that was expended went through somebody through a window across my yard through my window and between the both of us and it bounced off the kitchen floor and i said wow. time to move and this is how yeah, we that's, that's a good omen <laughs> oh yeah, yeah you know didn't want to raise our kids uh, our kid at the time in that type of atmosphere and since i've been here i mean pi work is pi work it's, it's not happy work i mean people come to me when they have problems and i'm the last resort uh to to solve whatever problem it is so that said over the years i mean i've had some, some crazy cases but there's no violence uh, the occasional assault case or something like that mostly theft so i picked up a case about three months ago, and I'm going to leave out family names, things like that. If you want to look into this, uh, any any newspaper in southwestern Pennsylvania, a week ago, Saturday, had this story in it. But uh, prior to this, uh, this client, a very, very nice guy, we became friends. He was from uh, Indonesia, and uh, his house was burglarized uh, of quite a lot of money. Uh, there was uh, it, there was a debate as to how much. In fact, they didn't even steal the money. They took the entire safe. Who puts hundreds of thousands of dollars in a 50-pound safe? 
But that's another story. They picked up the safe and walked off with the money. Anyway, uh, there was a couple of outstanding suspects. And I looked into everything. And while I was investigating this burglary, uh, he goes to uh, another city in Pennsylvania to visit his family and brings a duffel bag stuffed with cash, $120,000. It's all legitimate money, by the way. Uh, in the uh, Middle Eastern culture, particularly Middle Eastern people or Asian people that come here do not trust our banking system all that much. And to tell you the truth, I don't blame them. Uh, and he, <laughs> he sold the business for 600000 in cash. Part of the money that was stolen here was a portion of that uh, portion of the proceeds from the business. And the other 120 K was more money from the business. And when he came back, I said, you know, listen, you know, let's, let's call him Joe. Okay. I said, listen, Joe, he had a long, his last name was 26 letters long. I don't even think he, he could pronounce it, <laughs> but anyway, let's call him Joe. And I said, listen, somebody's got it in for you. And there's a problem here. Now, you know, I have to understand the culture. He knew who had it in for him, but he wasn't about to share it with me, even though I was trying to protect him, trying to get his money back and find out who did this. Uh, I said, no, 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 that's okay. Uh, and it, if I can only describe this guy in, 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 in a couple of words, I, I would say kind and respectful. Little guy, five foot four. And he said, no, no, no. He says, I'm perfectly safe. So we could go Saturday. He was meeting with the person he sold his business to. So uh, now I could have been there. Oh, you were supposed to be there. Yeah. Uh, but it's a dinner between friends. And uh, I didn't think anything. He said, ah, and, you know, I hadn't spoken to him for a while. And he didn't contact me, you know, to say, you got to come here. And uh, it's just that talking it over. It, there was a, uh, uh, a little, uh, what word can I use? I guess a dispute as to who owed who money over and above the 600K and whatever was involved, I, was, I wasn't privy to it. They have dinner, it was a Japanese restaurant. I love Japanese food, so for me not to go is a, is, is a, is a stretch. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't have even stayed at their table. I would have eaten at another table and let them discuss business. But that said, I'm home, minding my own business, watching old movies. And uh, he comes out of the restaurant with his friend, and uh, a hitman, for lack of a better term, who was, get a load of how this guy was dressed. He was in a construction worker's iridescent over-the-head vest. You know, if you ever see these guys on construction sites on highways, they wear these iridescent vests, yellow or orange. You can see them for like 10 miles. That's what he had on. Saturday night, 7.30, and this restaurant was located in a mini mall. Many, many witnesses. Uh, going about their duty, you know, they're going to restaurants. There's a big Lowe's there. You know, people are buying stuff and parking lots are packed. The guy comes up to him from behind, puts two bullets in his head from behind. He didn't know what hit him. He was dead before he hit the ground. And I didn't know about any of this. And uh, I, I got to bed early that night, about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And the phone starts ringing. Now, I don't answer the phone at night. Uh, I figured if uh, if it's something serious, they'll leave either leave a message or whatever. And I've often been told, "What do you mean you don't answer the phone at night? You know, in the, in the business you're in or, or whatever. You know, you got 
kids that don't live with you. What, what happens if somebody's calling you to tell you somebody died? And my answer is, well, they'll be just as dead in the morning. And when I will return the call, you know, everybody gets a laugh over that. But this was a, a very prophetic statement. The cops were calling me because when they searched his body, they found my business card. This is something you see on a, on, on, on a bed repeat of Hawaii Five O. We're coming to your house because the dead body had your business card. You know, the dead guy had your business card in his pocket. And that's exactly what happened. So they're trying to call me. And I get up in the morning to like six phone calls, messages, state police, local police. And I I, I went over there, you know, to, to get interviewed. And I I gave, you know, they, they told me what I just told you folks. And I mean, I was crushed. You know, I don't handle violence like I used to. I don't, do you, Johnny, do you like? I mean, I don't no, like hearing I mean, about I, it. I avoid it totally. I mean, I don't, it upsets me to hear about it. I don't like even going to violent movies anymore. Uh, I guess it's because of my past. When I was in a, in a unit in, in, in the NYPD, we're literally in fights every night, literally. in some kind of, some kind of a brawl somewhere. Peace demonstrations are the most violent things you'll ever come across. Vietnam peace demonstrations. Anyway, that's in my past and I, I'd rather not deal with it. So I was really, really upset. Now, they didn't tell me who got shot. They just said, you're a witness. You aren't a target. You're, you're a witness to a to a homicide. And I said, can you tell me who the victim is? Now, I'm thinking all kinds. I'm getting upset even talking about it. Can you tell me who the victim is? You know who I thought it was, Johnny? You remember that guy that I brought with me to our book party? Oh, Trump? yeah, 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 yeah. I thought it was him. Because this guy is involved with all kinds of stuff. But anyway. Uh, legal stuff, but he makes a lot of enemies. But anyway, I thought it was him. So I, I go over there and I'm a nervous wreck. And I go in there and they told me who it was. And I was even more upset. And they're, they're talking about it. He said, you know, we have no idea who did this. It sounds like a professional hit. Guy got in the car. It was a guy at the getaway. Uh, the, you know, the guy was at the wheel and they made their getaway. A lot of witnesses. Now, if you have 40 witnesses and there's a, a, a police officer, I can tell you, you have 40 witnesses, you have 40 different descriptions. <laughs> the people see what they want to see. The worst type of evidence, and you heard it here first, or maybe not, the worst type of evidence is eyewitness testimony. Defense counsel loves that when they're defending somebody uh, that allegedly committed a crime. But five people understand and five people tell you five different descriptions. In this case, everybody had a different description. Short, tall, male, woman, hat, no hat. Uh, anyway, Given this guy's business, where he, he dealt with uh, a lot of Asians, and once again, I don't want to get into his business. It was strictly legal and everything, but I, I don't want to upset the family who may be listening to this. Uh, he dealt with, with, a, with, with a lot of Asians as employees. And I have a lot of experience with Asian organized crime, a lot. I worked undercover with, with Chinese gangs, not for long, but I did. And I said, listen to me, if... During the course of this investigation, if you find out that maybe there's, there's an Asian connection, let me know. Because even though I'm here, if there's, if there's a gang involved, I can probably lead you somewhere by making some calls to New York. And I, I can help you guys out. And I've helped the police out here on numerous occasions. Anyway, that said, I go home. Two o'clock in the morning, the phone starts ringing. I said, not again. This time I'm going to answer it. Uh, uh, one of the uh, cops that I spoke to said, an arrest has been made. 
I said, gee, that was fast. And even, you know, if it's a professional hit, you expect them to be investigating for a little bit, you know? So anyway, I couldn't sleep the rest of the night. I'm waiting to get back down there. Turns out his good friend, you know where this is going, right? His good friend, the guy who he went to dinner with to even out their, their problems, was the mastermind behind the hit. He hired two Vietnamese hitmen from another city in Pennsylvania to come and, 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 and clip his good friend. So I saw great police work. Now it turns out that the guy turns out that the guy I heard, and I didn't get this officially, but it stands to reason 24 hours, they lock a guy up. He confessed. What I did hear was I only wanted to scare him. You can really put a scare into somebody by putting two bullets in his head, which was my first reaction. Hello. Uh, but that was if that's if that's his defense, he's in big trouble. Uh, Pennsylvania has the death penalty. And first degree murder in Pennsylvania, one of the statutes is a murder for hire. So he's going to death row. Uh, now, whether they got the shooters yet, which I doubt, because uh, there's probably in the wind. I'm thinking, uh, well, they may have been from a town in Pennsylvania. They're no longer there. They're probably in Canada by this time on their way back to Vietnam. They're Vietnamese hitters and Vietnamese friends. Not chastising the Vietnamese, but uh, that's who did it. So anyway, I, I, I've spent the rest of the week uh, uh, just, uh, just upset at this. I, you know, I knew the guy and I, I liked him. And you know, it's like I like a lot of my clients. But this case was going on and on. So uh, we had, you know, back and forth since since the burglary, which had to be probably May. By the way, I, I have a picture of the burglar. Uh, the burglar came in, dismantled all the security cameras except for one that he didn't see in the bedroom where the safe was. And I got a good picture of the guy. It was it was not an Asian. It was a uh, uh, looked like a young man, about 20, maybe, which I circulated on social media. I mean, I did what I had to do as a private investigator. Uh, and I, I, I thought this was an amateur job. I'll be the first one to admit, because as soon as the client left, the burglar. Now, I'm giving you a uh, uh, some pointers how not to commit a burglary. He parks his getaway car, the burglar, <laughs> in, in the victim's driveway. The guy across the street is asleep because it's four o'clock in the morning. And he takes on it. He knows this, they have to take the safe out of it. They, they already knew. You know, a 50 pounds really isn't a lot to a guy to carry, except if it's bulky. So they bought a, like a cart with them. The guy squeaked. Actually woke the guy up across the street. It was, oh it was warm weather. Maybe he had a window open. I don't know. He looks out and he sees the guy wheeling in and, and, and he heard the squeaking of the wheels. Brings this, says, well, it's got to be somebody that his, his neighbor knows because the guy's parking in his driveway, going in through his garage. And uh, the sloppiest burglary I ever saw, but to give them credit, they haven't been caught yet. But it has to have something to do with the, with the homicide. And they're, they're looking at that connection. Uh, apparently, the guy who uh, masterminded, and I'm using the term loosely, uh, masterminded the hit, felt he was owed money from the victim uh, over and above uh, the 600000 The 600000 that he got, he felt that uh, perhaps he, sh he should have... He charged him too much. That's just the theory. But anyway, it's something that really upset me. It's into like day 10 or 11 now. Even talking about it upsets me. This family man, great guy, comes to America, 
to make it big. And he did. He had a beautiful home, you know, a, a couple of notches short of a, like a mini mansion. Really nice. He was buried in Indonesia two days ago. Wow. So, you know, that's our, uh, our, our, our tale of woe. However, it was a tough, because, tough week for us. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say, you know, and uh, uh, well, that's go ahead. No, I'm saying, you know, when like yesterday, you and I had an emotional day, which again, I'm not ashamed to say because you you wrote the epilogue of our book, yeah. our new book. And um, I, I have to say publicly, when anybody reads it, what you've written here surpasses anything I've ever even thought you could do on right. as far as emotionally and sensitivity. I mean, well, my, my, my recollection of Marilyn, what you did with it, I mean, just the snowflake on her nose blew me away. Yeah, I, I tell you, you know, uh, people, I've been writing a long time and it, it, it took me, I, I, I am now a full-time writer. I can, I can subsist or exist or one of those exists on my writing. Uh, but it was, it was a long way getting here. And now people ask me, how do you know if you're a good writer? So I said, if you, if while you're writing what you're writing and it, it makes you cry, it's your own words. You're a good writer. And I said, and even to, to like cement that, you know, I, I, I have a system when I finish a, a, a book, it's in, it's called, what's called a rough draft. You don't just finish writing. Say, okay, publisher, take it away. You have to do like seven rewrites and there's so much involved. Got to make sure everything makes sense. If you didn't contradict yourself and all that, I walk away from it for two weeks. And then, uh, because I, I give it to uh, our editor, we, Jen and I work with an editor. Uh, every writer has an editor. When it comes back, if I read it then, and it, it 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 makes me tear up, I know I've done my job. So that's that's my definition of. Uh, I'm not going to say that everything that uh, that I, uh, that I write has emotional scenes in it, but you should feel the uh, you should feel an emotion with what you're writing. You can't put emotion into a book if you're just writing because uh, wow, I want the paycheck. Well, I can't wait till this is over so I can go watch Jeopardy or whatever your uh, whatever your schedule is like. If you can't do that, you better find yourself a, another form of art. If you want to create, writing isn't your thing. So you, you have to have that that feeling. And uh, when I evoke that from GI, because he's the subject of this book, which brings us to our, uh, our final topic, which is a little up compared to what we just talked about. Anything would be yeah, up. Hello, yeah, about a freaking volcano would be up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, we just finished it. Uh, the, uh, our editor has it. Uh, it's a beautiful cover. Our editor is also an artist. He does a beautiful cover. And it's the first in a series uh, of fiction Gianni Russo stories. And this is something in the publishing world that is very, very rarely done. Now, I, I, I only know of one incident that was a uh, uh, a soldier by the name of Richard Marchenko. And in the 80s, he, uh, he was a SEAL. He was in SEAL Team 6. And uh, the SEALs weren't very well known back then. But, uh, he had a lot of adventures. And uh, there was a, a, a nonfiction book like uh, Johnny and I wrote, wrote uh, his story several years ago. And he had an idea. And he said, you know, I'm going to start writing 
fiction about about exploits. And he did it and it was very successful. And he passed away recently, but it, it was, uh, you gotta be careful doing this because people know the, the character, they know Gianni from his real life story. And now you're putting him into a setting that's fiction. But the way Gianni and I did it, now we, doing something like this with Gianni, like I'm talking about you, like you're not here, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, it, it gives us leeway to combine truth and fiction, or rather, uh, rather, uh, uh, yeah, truth and, and, and fiction. And that's the way we wrote it. So there's a lot of things we wanted to say in the original book. And you, I, I think you'll agree with me on this, Johnny, that we really couldn't say. Right. Well, that's even while you're talking about it now, I, I, I want to be totally honest. I mean, this book and all the next books to come, we'd be out of the business if we just wrote what I really know and did just because I'd be in jail. <laughs> yeah, and I'd have the adjoining cell. So, so we have to, uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly, because you're a collaborator. Yeah, so, so I, I, I had more fun doing this book, and I've written a lot of books. Uh, I've had more fun doing this book than anything I've ever written. I mean, we combined. That's a big compliment, thank you. Oh, I, I mean, I look forward, this, you know, I'll give you an example about what people think of, uh, of writers. This is something else, you know. I said, well, what do you do for a living? I say, I'm a writer. And most people come back and say, well, what's your real job? <laughs> I said, let me tell you something. Well, I, it, it, if I know them well, I'll say, you try to put yourself in a confined space for sometimes up to eight hours a day for months and months at a time and try to put words on paper that people will want to read. And you don't call that work. You're mistaken. I mean, I leave. Uh, after a day of of of, uh, of writing, no matter how long it is, I'm exhausted. You know, it's 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 really tiring. But to do this book, and, and sometimes uh, in, in that vein, uh, get up in the morning uh, doing something else. Yeah, uh, I really don't want to do this, but I'm obligated to do it. I'm under contract. I've got a deadline. This book, we're not under contract. We're not under anything. We were. We had interest by a very big publisher who I don't want to name because Johnny knows it. Who, uh, who came to us and said, we're interested in this fiction series. Uh, and it's something else with, with fiction. You have to write the book, or at least the majority of it, before they'll read it. With nonfiction, you could write a proposal, what the book is going to be about. With fiction, they want to see the whole thing. Because fiction is much more difficult to write. Uh, so they want to see that. You got a cohesive story there. We didn't have any deadlines. We had no uh, body to answer to except ourselves. The only thing we had that we wanted to stick to was we wanted this out by Christmas. Uh, and to that end, I mean, I took my, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I had such fun doing this, a lot of humor in here. There's a lot of things that we wanted to say that I said, uh, and we have a sort of a disclaimer at the beginning of the book. I don't know what you call it. Would you call that a disclaimer? What I'm going to say now, or no, I think so, it's the truth. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, it's the truth. Uh, a, a disclaimer is a legal term that gets you out of trouble. <laughs> so what, what, what we put in, in, in the book, first page of the book, uh, we're not even into the story yet. The first blank page is, this is a work of fiction, except for the parts that are true. Gianni Russo, Patrick Piccarelli, December 2022. Now, let's leave it with that. Let's leave <laughs> that. Matt, you can't say another word. I, if I was a listener, I want to go buy that book. 
There's well, nothing else to elaborate on. I mean, it's who, we're going to have. Uh, yeah, we're going to get uh, a, a lot, a lot more into the book and how you can buy it and everything else. I mean, a, a book's a book. You, can, you know, you can buy the book, right. but uh, the plan is, uh, uh, with all things considered, you want to put out at least one book every year, depending on the reception of the first one, possibly two. And we're not talking about a pamphlet here. It's a 400-page book, uh, which, by the way. We wrote in, I don't think it was even three months. Yeah. Well, you know what it was, too, though, as you know. You got to know me so well over the last three years. We have a, I mean, we have so much material. It's so yeah, crazy. We have, and that's something else. You know, when you when you sell a book uh, and, and you're, you're, you're a published author, you're, you're thrilled. For me, it lasted about an hour. And then comes the reality of it. <laughs> really, the, the reality of, of it all is the first question that the publisher asks you, because these people are business people, and rightly so. This is a wonderful book. We're going to buy it. We're sending you a check for X number of dollars. What are you working on now? They don't want one-hit wonders here. They want, no. they want you, you, you wrote a good book. They appreciate it. Now they want more. The problem is, if you can call it a problem, that second book better, better be better and different than the first. Otherwise, uh, you always be compared to the first book. And now he was uh, like people who were only like in the 60s and 70s. A lot of these artists did one song. They never heard from them again. One hit wonders, they were called. Oh, yeah. We know we a lot of them. So like Gianni <laughs> said, we have enough material. Given the stuff that we couldn't put in the first book, we can fictionalize. And that's what we're going to do. And uh, the, the name of this book is The Sixth Family. And we'll have the... Uh, We'll have, we'll have more information just prior to the book being dropped, which should be December 1st. Thank God. With all that said, I think, you know, we, we, we started with a very sensitive, two sensitive stories. And it's ironic as, as I'm listening to us now in the synopsis of the book you're giving them, we climax with a very sensitive ending. <laughs> And this story is going to take you to a, a level. I, I, I myself, and it's, I'm, you know, I know every inch of the book with you. I, I'm blown away by it. Well, we haven't so, told anybody what the book is about, which is no. when somebody asked me, you know, if, if I'm if I'm writing a book and somebody asked me, what, what's the book about? I say it's about 400 pages. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to, you know, because when no, you, you start can't. talking, no. you, uh, you tend to talk too much because it's like your baby. Yeah. So we can just say that the book takes place in 1986. Uh, there, there are pivotal characters in here who you will know. Uh, Marilyn Monroe died in 1962, but she plays a, a part in this book and, and a lot of other names that you'll know. A lot of colorful characters here, a lot of humor, a lot of tragedy. And we, we hope you like it. And we'll, uh, we'll have more to say about that when the book drops. Uh, and uh, I guess that's about it, buddy. Yep, I think so, man. And uh, again, to our good friend, Tony Federici, we'll miss you, love you forever. And uh, well, we, 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 not to interrupt, but we, we are coming back with emails. So don't go anywhere. Okay. All right. I didn't know. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back. We're taking a break. Okay. I'm now known as the Hollywood Godfather. And this is my story. I'm happy to say Hollywood Godfather, Rob Ography, is now playing on most platforms, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, 
Listen to Joel Ortiz, famous rapper and Arsenic the Heat record, multi-platinum producer for Sony. Produce this record. I'm proud of it. There's 12 tracks. You got to listen to this. You never know who you're lying in a room with So I broke a broomstick in half and let it groove with The concrete in the bathroom floor It had a new tip stashed it behind the toilet In case I ever had to use it All right, we're back from the break And this happens to be both Pat and I's favorite part of the show We love the mailbag, we love hearing from you guys And that's what gives us so many ideas and the inspiration to keep going, actually. Oh, yeah. In fact, I'm going to start with one of the last emails here, if you just bear with me for a bit here. Okay, this is the... I'm going to start at the back because this is uh, something I think uh, Gianni and I would want to hear. Hi, Gianni. This is from James. Just wanted to say thank you very much uh, for doing this week's podcast episode on Robert Evans. I was the person who emailed you and requesting an episode on him that I thought would be great. So thank you so much for doing that. Uh, I'll stop right there. So we listen to you people. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, no, we're not, and that was a great show, too, like you yeah, said. If you want something done, you just you just tell us. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, you know, if you, if you want to know where, where, where Jimmy Hoff is buried, we can't help you there. But, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> anything else you want to, we know where a couple other people are buried. But anyway, that's, that's for another show. Okay. Uh, Okay, thank you for doing it. I've just finished reading his book, The Kid Stays in the Picture, and it was a fantastic read indeed. Uh, I know you mentioned about sending me a copy. However, I do have his book, as well as your book too. However, anything uh, you could send which is signed by yourself would be a true gift and very much appreciated. God bless James. Funny you should bring that up, James, because we'll be offering uh, autographed uh, books of this, uh, of this new book through a dedicated website or perhaps the website we have now. You have to talk to our, uh, our producer, Mike Austin, in L.A. But that was very nice of him to, uh, to you know, thank us for that. Oh, yeah. No, please. That was a good show, too, Bob. They're talking about another character, Bobby Evans. Bobby. Oh, yeah, God. There's so many, so many topics out there. You know, if, if you and I, I figured it out. If you and I live to be 113, which is what I'm planning on, right. we, could put, we could put out 26 more books. Oh, good. Let's yeah, do so that. I got... Plots for all of them. Actually, you got the plots. All right. <laughs> this is from Karen. Hi. Okay. Hi. Hi, Karen. Uh, I, I heard uh, many New Yorkers say that Rudy Giuliani kicked the Italian, kicked out the Italian mob in order to let to let in Russia to let Russian organized crime thrive. Is this true? Who no. knows? I think crazy. What a statement <laughs> I mean, that was. You know, they blame this guy for a lot of stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, Obviously, his hair dye, too. They weren't talking about that yet. <laughs> Rudy Giuliani isn't the Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, you know, a uh, us New Yorkers knew no. after the terrorist attack. He he was a phenom. Uh, he was, uh, they labeled him uh, America's mayor, you know, and what the hell happened to him? I think he got injected with some Trump juice or something because he really mm -hmm. went off the deep end. Yeah. But that said, he was a crusading prosecutor and he, Hated organized. Well, of course, he had political ambitions, but for for rumors to to start about him going after the Italians because he wanted to let the Russians in. No, that's that's blatantly ridiculous. Uh, that's, uh, that's 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 probably the dumbest statement I ever heard. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, well, you know, we can thank the internet for that. You know, <laughs> no, no, he was he he was probably the 
individual had the most effect on organized crime of anyone, to include everybody you read about in your past, the Elliot Messers of the world and all that. Giuliani, yeah. prosecutor, who put these people away. All right. Let me see how much time we got. I think we should uh, probably cut it here. We're a little over 50 minutes now. We got a lot of emails here. Okay. And well, keep the cards coming because we want to hear any way you're sending them, emails, texts, whatever. Thank you again. A great show, Pat. Thank you. Oh, and, you're welcome. Um, Thank you, Johnny. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. God bless. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell Thank me you for I'll tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around.